You're listening to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger, here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hello. And Mike Connolly. Hello. And our guest today, Bill Orcutt. Hello. Hey, Bill. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. We are definitely excited to talk to you. A, I guess it's been on two years ago we did over on the Patreon, Steve Lowenthal came over and we did uh, the Harry Pussy double 7-inch. Okay. And we knew since then we really wanted to talk to you. And it presented itself today. You're in Los Angeles to play some shows with Chris Corsano. That's right. And we're going to talk about your work with Corsano, but we got to go back. All the way back. Okay. As far back as we can go. All right. Well, where where did it start for you? Now, were you did you grow up in Miami? Yeah. That's where you that's born and raised? Born and raised in Miami. My parents were born and raised in Miami, which is not that common to have two generations like that. And uh yeah. Born and raised in Miami. So where did you start your path into fucked up music i didn't you know i was like i didn't have a i was the oldest i have two siblings and i was the oldest kid but we didn't have any records in the house and didn't have a record player and then like i didn't ask for it but when i was 15 my parents bought me a turntable because i think they thought that's what teenagers wanted mm -hmm. so i got a turntable and then you know i didn't you know i didn't have an older sibling to be like here are the records to listen to so I just, you know, and I like to read. So I started reading reviews to find records. And uh, so like immediately kind of just, and it was the late seventies. So I'm kind of immediately veered into well-reviewed punk records. So, yeah. Um, when did you pick up a guitar? Not long after that. Right. I, yeah. Cause I immediately got connected with it and it seemed exciting. And my next door neighbor had a $50 like Japanese no name guitar that I bought off him and that, that and I plugged it I didn't have an amp so I plugged it into the stereo mm -hmm. and uh you know I had a tape deck so you could like set it to record and then it would come through the outputs and you could get like a decent amount of distortion just overdriving the turn the tape deck and uh did a lot of like grinding the strings against the side of the speaker and all that kind of stuff. So you were already attracted to screwing with this guitar, not playing it like <laughs> it was supposed to be. First turntable. <laughs> yeah, you already record yeah. system. It was in my room. It was technically okay. my turntable. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I, I love Jimi Hendrix, right? And Hendrix does that, you know, with the side of his Marshall cabinet. So yeah, it just felt immediately like that was a thing to do. So what was Miami like in the 80s as far as underground shows, bands? Oh. I had no friends. I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, there was a there were there were some punk bands, apparently. Uh, and but not all not a lot of punk bands and definitely not weird punk bands. Uh, I went away to college and then came back in 84 and it was kind of the same, but. I met some guys who had a band called uh, Verbal Circus, and it was just weirdos doing like kind of like performance art stuff. Uh, three guys, and uh, that was that, that. That was the only thing that I really like immediately connected with, and so I made friends with them. And 
that was Mark who wound up in Harry Pussy and my friend George who lives in Philly and who I see all the time and uh, and Lloyd who I don't talk to so much anymore but 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 early early friends that are still people yeah yeah with yeah. you and then obviously Mark someone you worked with yeah yeah later on but you know Harry Pussy is you know you know you're talking about you're buying punk records you're, you're, you you know you're, you weren't even that into music necessarily when you were a kid but to come out with that you know something in the water was happening you know with what you got what was going on in Miami at the time I mean when did you when did you end up linking up with Rat Bastard and and that sort of Miami crew right I mean Rat was everywhere he had he would be like he would have like a pop-up before the name existed record store that was only open like one day a week he had a studio uh, he had nightclubs, he had nights at nightclubs. He, you know, he was just like kind of everywhere. And I found some pretext to talk to him, you know, but long before Harry Pussy existed, just to like have a reason to have a conversation with him about like equipment. And he was always very like super, you know, any, anything that he knew or you thought he might know, he would tell you about it. And, he, you know, it was really easy to have a, a good conversation with him. So uh, he was very helpful. Like when I was starting to buy, like I bought like a four track, like an old TAC reel to reel proper four track. And uh, yeah, Rad helped me put that together. But this was so like with Mark and George and Lloyd, the guys in, uh, we made a, we had a, I joined the band and it became Trash Monkeys. And then that was Trash Monkeys. And I played drums in Trash Monkeys just because, and I bought a drum set just so I could hang out. With them, basically, <laughs> uh, and then uh, and then I wanted to play guitar, and that's when I got involved in playing four string guitar because I I had been neglecting my guitar and it only had four strings, and I and uh, I just started writing songs for that whatever this random assortment of strings on my guitar was, and uh, yeah, I I worked up a set of songs, and I, I had met another guy who was a bass player. But he was like such a good bass player that he couldn't play in any bands because he just ruined them with his terrific bass right. playing. <laughs> he didn't sound, he did not fit in at all. But he was like a, a good drummer, but not too good a drummer. And uh, so I started, I did a duo with him called Watt, like four string guitar and drums. And that was the immediate precursor to playing with Adris. Uh, and it was the same, literal same drum set, same guitar, same amps. And uh, we mm -hmm. did it for like, Three years, maybe. Did you tour it all then, or was it just no? Horrible? No, we just. I'm actually going to release. Tim just found the drummer, found a uh, like a half inch master of our one studio session, and it it sounds good. So it's very different than Harry Pussy. I was gonna. I'm gonna put it out though. It should come out next year. But so you weren't the only drummer to just start drumming for a band, because that's how Harry Pussy started, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? You basically, you encouraged Adris to play drums when she had never played drums before, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I I met her um, and, uh, you know, it was obviously, you know, we should do something together. And I think initially we talked about, maybe thought about bass, but nobody owned a bass, but we had this drum set that was being used for Watt. So like she kind of just moved in on Tim's drum set and eventually he just like let her have it. So, yeah. 
So, but how, so how did you guys meet? And then how did, how were you guys talking about music leading up to starting playing together? I mean, what, what were your guys' interests together and how did that just come about? I mean, I think we had our mutual interests were probably just like, like SST type, you know, indie bands. Uh, I, you know, I like stuff like, like jazz and, you know, James Blood Omer and, and other kinds of predictable things for that era. Um, but we didn't really have like a clear precursor. I knew from playing with Tim that like, like we're from Miami. We're so far out of the zone. Uh, nobody's going to notice what we're doing. And so we had to do something that was going to like get people's attention. So it had to be extreme. That's that was my thinking going into it was like, you're not going to get there on good taste and talent alone. It has to. <laughs> was it often polarizing like in the early days, too? Because, I mean, I know touring for some of the bands you toured for and stuff, their audiences weren't expecting Harry Pussy. Yeah. But even even in Miami, kind of starting in the scene you did and I was playing shows with, you know, things Rat would set up. Was it still uh, like pretty extreme responses? Yeah. I mean, we didn't play that many shows in Miami per se. I mean, Rat had a night on at Churchill's like a Thursday night. And it was like a it was essentially an open mic night, except you Rat had to like you. So it was a, <laughs> it was a somewhat curated open mic night. You didn't get paid and there was no no audience really other than the other bands but it was a, as a clubhouse and a place with a decent pa and a nice stage and you could get up there and blast and just essentially rehearse on stage and it was great i think that's how we all think of churchill's and rat <laughs> yeah Isn't yeah nice? yeah what was churchill's like back were in the, the, 90s? Were the I mean, bathrooms ever decent were there yeah. ever doors that didn't have <laughs> holes in the middle yeah. like running water no i don't i don't i don't remember a time when it was ever nice i remember it was interesting because it was a lot smaller they at some point they acquired the roof space next door and knocked down a wall but like without ever properly like getting like a, a team to do it they just ashed yeah. a hole so there was still like the remnants of the, the concrete <laughs> brick around it. uh my my first memory of going there was somebody booked a show there this was playing drums and trash monkeys and they had like a Radio Shack PA, no stage, just a corner of the room. So those column Radio Shack PAs. And and uh, I, I, I was still heavily smoking and I, I tapped my cigarettes to open like a new pack. And some like guy at the bar screamed, shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was like, and that, and that was it. Yeah, that was Churchill's. And, it, you know, it got bigger. And they got a nice PA and then they built a stage and, but it was never not, uh, you know, just a complete, you know, dive bar. And I'm, I, it seems the, the importance of Rat Bastard in Miami can't mm -hmm. be understated. He's obviously someone we, 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 you know, want to have on someday. Of course, he's Legendary. an absolute legend. Yeah. 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 I, I just imagine his energy back then and, and connecting people and just getting, encouraging people to, to do stuff must have just been infectious. Oh yeah, no, right? You, you, I, yeah, I, I think you just said he was can't be overestimated, and that's totally true. Like Rat was, Rat was running. I mean, he was turning the crank on like everything, and he likes all kinds of music. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So everybody, no matter what you were doing, from like country pop to you know whatever we were, you know, he was into it. Like, oh, you're doing that? That's great. How can I help you do it more of it and better? You know. 
So Rat was great, and he hit, and he, he just never slept. And in fact, the first <laughs> the first Harry Pussy single, he had a studio. It was like right around the corner from our apartment on Miami Beach. And like he brought us, you know, it was a they they did commercial work, so they he got us in at like six a.m. or something, you know, and then he would like promptly like hit record and then fall asleep while we were playing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, like that that that's that that single that first single was done, you know, like at six a.m. Like like he but he would get up in the morning to come over and like you know, who does that? <laughs> So, you know, oh yeah, yeah, no, it's he, it's he's a true force of nature. Yep. And yeah, you know, obviously someone we look forward to talking to at a certain point. So how how many shows are you guys doing leading up to that first seven? She said he wasn't a ton, no. but, but I guess I guess who else was in that world that you guys were existing in at that time in the in the early 90s in Miami? So, I mean, we didn't do any shows prior to the seven inch. That was our first time playing together. Oh, like, <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. So we were kind of like, we should, we should do a record. Cause that was the other thing that I realized, like, not only does it have to be kind of extreme, but you have to have some kind of documentation because you're in a place where nobody's going to see you play live. All right. And you touring wasn't even a, something we could possibly imagine at that point. So we had to make a record, and so we made a record, and that, that record was the first time us playing together. But yeah, so you guys hadn't even that you just rat sent you in the studio and hit record. That was it. Go. Yeah. So wow. Yeah. Did you have the name then? No, it was called, it was called Cookies and Beer. It was the original <laughs> name of Harry Pussy, <laughs> and uh, and it took forever to get that thing done because we did we did like a session, and then we did an overdub session, which is really weird. And then we, uh, and then it kind of sat there waiting for Rat to mix it. And it took, so it took some months before it went off to the, to get pressed. And, uh, yeah, at, the, at some point during that, during that, where we were waiting, I like came up with a list of all these free associated names and I gave it to Adris and she was like, Harry pussy, that's hilarious. And I think like butthole surface, she thought we were going to change the name every show or something. Of course, or, that's that's yeah. right. That's the the, the that's first band idea. Every <laughs> show is going to be a different <laughs> name, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, but no, that was the name, and uh, so yeah, that's that's how that happened. Um, in terms of what else, what else was around, like Rat was doing kind of weird music uh, on his own. Not quite as extreme as it later got, but he was doing stuff that wasn't like everyone else. Was, there, it, was that the scraping teeth stuff he was doing? Was that pre-laundry room squelchers or? It's definitely pre-laundry room squelchers. I think it was like scraping teeth yeah. was what he was doing there. Yeah. And there was, uh, and then when the, right around the time the single was getting done, maybe like Tom Smith showed up in town. One of one of the fallen soldiers, yes. obviously one of the biggest losses of this year. So when did you end up meeting Tom? Like right away, because Tom was like, you know, Tom was another <laughs> another true force of nature that, <laughs> that the, the world yes. is is just is a little bit dimmer, you know, now and will be going forward. Tom was working the room uh, the media, the minute like he arrived and uh, I met him at I'm I'm sure I met him at Rat Studio for the first time. Um, and I saw him when he was recording 30 Minute Manor Cream. Oh, wow. Uh, doing the vocal overdubs. Oh, for that. wow. 
and it was like every <laughs> every song was like him doing it and then at the end throw the mic on the ground <laughs> it was hilarious and awesome and but he was on such a first of all he 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 like he like he had a he was on a mission like we were kind of wandering around without a clear idea other than like we want to do something but like tom was like very focused on like a thing and you know finding any way he can he could get to further his activity and uh and, and it was so it was so over the top I th i'm sure it i don't recall it being an influence but it must have been something that made us think oh yeah we've got to like we got to amp this up you know well certainly i think from the first seven inch and then moving into some of the other early recordings there is definitely right a a, a ramp up yeah you know especially once you get to the I guess self-titled record. It, I, I mean, it, I know it goes under many different names, but you know, by the time you get there, I mean, it is. You guys are just in this total, just extreme zone. Yeah, I mean, we had. It's interesting because the way the way the records came out, the piece in between only just came out last year. The superstar <laughs> recordings, right? Mm -hmm. Because that actually was between the first single and the second it single. It just never came out. Was it supposed to come out on something? No. It just never I, did. It, it was like we had this idea to like, well, like like I said, the first single was just the first time we played together and the first time Aders had ever been on a drum set. So it was like by necessity kind of tentative and whatever. Uh, and th so then to, just to have something to do, I started writing these songs and we worked up these songs and... Uh, and they were great. And it was, we played it live a few times uh, and even like did it on, we, we had our first tour. We went to, uh, we <laughs> went to New York during CMJ and like played the downtown music gallery <laughs> with like Fender Twin on 10 uh, in that little space. And uh, yeah. And on that tour, we, that's, the, that's the set we were playing and uh, somebody recorded our set in, uh, in Chapel Hill, and that's on that the twelve inch version of that superstar record. So you toured your way up. We toured our way. Up. <laughs> so anyway, so what I was gonna say is, so like that was the piece in between the second single, and then it was kind of like we had because we had this framework, then we could like just shred it, and then so like we went from like playing these structured songs to just tearing them apart, and that's what became like what's on the second single, and then the album. But they, they started out with like the start stop kind of. I don't know if you've heard the music on that superstar record. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, like all that starting and stopping and that, that structured rhythmic stuff provided kind of like the energy that we then used to like break it apart. So when, when you guys did songs, there was there were there was sort of touch tones for each track. And then within that, you would sort of go off. So, I mean, the superstar stuff is very conventional song songs. Then we broke it apart. That's kind of like the 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 album and the second seven inch. And then when Mark joined, we we kind of took the stuff that I was doing, playing with Adris as a duo, and then tried to kind of arrange it into songs. Even if it just sounded like a complete wall of noise, there was some. Um, we had sections, and then we would cue each other and go from section to section. Right. Because yeah. I mean, it definitely. I mean, it there definitely is wall of noise. Yeah. And that's a huge part. And I think that still is a lot of times what when someone thinks very pussy, that's sort of a lot of 
what is thought of with Harry Pussy. But what's interesting is that the one plus one yeah. compilation came out. It's actually interesting hearing it framed a little differently because you do start hearing, oh, no, there, there's a you, structure. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, as you know, almost basic as that is to even say, but it is true. You You can actually start seeing that in there when it's framed that way. Mm-hmm. When did you start getting wor- wind that there that these quote unquote bigger bands were starting to support Harry Pussy, shout out Harry Pussy, and then eventually obviously wanting you to play? How did how did that how did that ball get really rolling? Rat was, I mean, again, Rat, Rat, Rat immediately like when the single was done, and it was it was kind of like you know, putatively on his label, although we paid for it. Uh, we put e-sync cause he had, right. a, he had a PO box. Right. So, uh, so it was kind of, it was on his label. So he started, you know, and he, you know, he worked for the airlines. So he would be flying around for free and, uh, like going to shows and handing out Harry pussy singles. So, you know, when we did our own kind of like, you know, since, since some mailed some out. I think we, I think Rat just told me that like oh I get, I saw Thurston Moore in the street and I handed him this single and he, and he <laughs> that seems that's like Rat yeah and he, and he like he's like oh he looked at it and he loved it man and uh, but it was I remember now that I'm telling the story that like Adris is like her bar for like success was she was working at Borders Bookstore so there was a girl who she had a coworker who uh, who like super chunk and like. Aders wanted to be friends with her because she was like the coolest person at the store. <laughs> so Aders was like, oh, she's like, so she her bar of success was that she was going to give the single to the girl who like super chunk and see if like that would raise her social standing at, at work. And it didn't pan. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> yeah. the girl who like super chunk, not into Harry Pussy. Uh, and so Aders had written off the whole project as kind of like a failure, unsuccessful. And then, then I remember telling Adris, oh yeah, Rat said that Thurston Moore liked the single. And then she's like, what? And so like, we suddenly were back on. We were successfully. Suck <laughs> 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 that super chunk. <laughs> but was it, was it the 120 Minutes episode that, do you, it, as far as you remember, was that, uh, was that a big moment for you guys? Or was that, did you, was it just sort of like, oh yeah, I heard that happened. Cause I mean, for for me, that was a big moment because that was my introduction to you when I was uh, yeah thirteen or fourteen or whatever right. I was when that was on it. You know, we used to set the VCR and tape it, and and especially if Thurston was on, he played Masana, he played Harry Pussy. You know, he introduced, and maybe the ripples weren't even felt, you know, until years later. But he introduced a lot of people to right. some really extreme stuff. You know, back then. Now, was that something you felt immediately or? Um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think there's a lot of pieces that go into that. So like part of it was Tom Smith was taking classes at the community college. Uh, and he's like, oh, for my class project, I want to film you guys. So the thing that, that Thurston played on her 20 minutes was filmed by Tom Smith Incredible at the Alliance where I worked the cinema and, uh, yeah, I, that that happened right at the time that the the um, the Silk Breeze LP came out. Right, a dove. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, uh, the, oh, the first one, the first one, the eponymous. Uh, and uh, yeah, so yeah, I didn't see it. 
I don't know what we were doing that night, but we weren't watching MTV. But uh, people told us, and it did seem kind of like, how is this possible? Right, right. <laughs> you know, because uh, we didn't know, we didn't make the connection that, that, that Tom had sent our video that he made off to, to be seen elsewhere. You know, and I think at that point, too, it was like you couldn't even wasn't a digital transfer you would like have to take like a cassette and uh you know send it off by a mail yeah i don't even know how you yeah, I, I, mean, I hope you got a good grain wait yeah, <laughs> you totally got a good grain. yeah 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 i don't even know how that worked but i, I wouldn't no. know how it worked now and yeah, i certainly yeah. didn't know Submissions how it worked back then yeah. yeah. i mean i'm sure there was i bet there was like an yeah. address and you sent it no in, no but, he sent it he didn't send yeah. it to, to tv he sent no, it no, to, to thurston but i'm saying like just in general i wonder yeah, how that even no. and even like with thurston it was like here i want you to play this you know i don't know how lenient they were i mean obviously they were lenient with with him and you yeah, could play yeah. this kind of stuff which is cool yeah so yeah i mean we didn't see it but we heard about it and people were people were, i mean the people who told us about it were as baffled about it as we were like how could it be that this band that we that we hate and we pretend to be friends with <laughs> you know could 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 be on mtv so that yeah it was a it was a seismic moment uh but is, and then and then is that when you guys started playing with Sonic Youth and and Sebado and 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 that that ilk? A little, it's a little bit later than that. Um, I know that uh, like that the the tape they showed on TV was us as a duo. Uh, so we didn't do start playing with them until we were a trio. But like they, uh, Nirvana played a giant outdoor show in uh, in Miami, and. Thurston and the whole band and um, Courtney Love was there. So apparently, again, we weren't there, but we heard later that like in the middle of the show, Courtney Love came out and like whispered in Kurt's ear. And then Kurt was like, oh, uh, Harry Pussy is playing tonight at Churchill's, which we were. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so that was definitely the biggest audience we ever played to at, at Churchill's. Uh, just you know, completely packed with people waiting for Nirvana to make their arrival, which they didn't. But <laughs> can't imagine that cloud of smoke in Churchill. <laughs> yes, <laughs> which is the yeah. I mean, your guys' trajectory is so strange because it really <laughs> feels like you you did nothing to, to, to get to this. Like you rat sort of three in the studio. Like, yeah, all right, I guess we're playing a band now. And then, like like you, you seemingly had zero aspirations, for, and somehow it just sort of kept snowballing. There was an insane momentum, like to my relationship with Adris. It was kind of like from from the get go. It was like we were in fast motion, you know, and and the band just kind of was part of that. Like and and, you know, the stupid way we chose our name and like all of that stuff, all of the not thinking it through and not, you know, being not calculating at all. It just was seemed like it was part of the the project it was just we were out of control going so much fun and immediacy on everything yeah i mean that that was that was us and you guys toured a hell of a lot too right right so i mean so yeah i mean at some point i sent i saw i didn't know anything about labels at all or anything really but um i saw a an ad for silk breeze in some fanzine and it was such an amateurish like 
it like looked like he'd written it like you know if he's right hand he wrote it with his left hand <laughs> like just barely barely legible and i it stood out and for its awfulness and i was just like well that seems like a good label that we should be on but we didn't know anything about like were they cool or we, we didn't know right, anything right. about the. it was like, just oh this looks like crap <laughs> <laughs> so so i sent him a record and he was like oh yeah i heard this this is great you know if you want to do an lp let me know and so that's that was how we hooked up with tom and sent the record out and then touring was would kind of hit it into gear after the first record or after Ride well yeah Dove? so once we once we had a relationship with with soap breeze then like touring became a lot easier and tom was always trying to organize things uh you know in philly and so that would get us up the east coast and, and this is tom lax tom lax of, yes yes tom lax from soap breeze yeah. yeah and so he would be bringing us up i'm gonna do a festival at the kyber you know and so we would be going up there and playing shows and Ride a Dove, which is the the second record, is a very different beast. Yeah, and in a lot of ways, to me, that was that was the record that I was so just obsessed with when I was getting into Harry Pussy, because it is just such a such a head scratcher, such a mind fuck. One track, no, you know, no no breaks and no no breaks in the CD and no no bands on the LP. And, and I mean, it feels like just this collage. So how was that put together? I mean, it, it came. So I was trying. So if you've heard the last LP, that's kind of what I wanted to do. Let's build a pussy. No. Oh, oh you mean the, you mean the last the, the last rec, the the trio record with Dan? Okay, uh, gotcha, that we did gotcha. After that, mm -hmm. so that that kind of more structured thing was what I was trying to do, uh, but you know, because of like chronic marijuana use and uh you know whatever my other problems were i could not get it together because it was just to make all that abstract music but also make it cohere as like a as like a rock band kind of it was took me a while to figure out so we we like recorded for like we had a warehouse in north miami and just recorded endlessly and and uh it just wasn't coming together and so eventually i just took I took some live recordings that we had done opening for Sonic Youth with people booing us. And I had some recordings that we did in the warehouse and I did. And then just some other random noise stuff that I had on tapes. And we had I worked at this uh, film co-op. And so we had a little space there. And so at some point I just kind of went into the into the film co-op and just kind of put it all together. Uh, and then we had a very primitive, uh, you know, uh mac set up for audit editing audio and that's that's where i assembled it all it is actually assembled on computer yeah early obviously very primitive yeah, 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 yeah very early and uh yeah and so that was that was right a dove but uh yeah it was it was born out of pain and <laughs> whatever other problems i was having and then like Adris and I broke up, not I'm trying to think when exactly in the timeline that was, maybe after, but the, that was definitely, I always think of it as the breakup record, whether we had broken up or not, but yeah. Did you tour Broken Up? Yeah. How was that? It's amazing really that it happened at all. <laughs> <laughs> because you wouldn't think that like a couple would, you know, break up and then continue to tour, but 
I guess we did, you know, and it wasn't it wasn't terrible. It had its it had some weird, very weird moments, uh, uh, but it was OK. Well, and like Gray brought up earlier, just especially then touring and especially with what you guys are doing or, you know, to live and shave in L.A. touring squelchers back in the 90s. There's still what you I mean, in a way, you guys were a lot of what set up the touring the way of touring for noise and and you know fucked up bands etc were you met with hostility and oh. or, or did it were you able to sort of figure out who to contact and and how to get the shows that are going to be with the right bands, or was it just trial and error yeah did the crowds know what they were in for yeah uh i i mean so i i mean i am and was like completely clueless about how to do all of that. Well, that's what we're learning is basically you're just sort of like, it's just sort of happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't even know how you got here. <laughs> I mean, I had no contacts and I, I am, I'm not a good networker at all. Um, but like, so three day stubble, I don't even know if you yes, know who that actually, is. Actually, yeah, 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 I do. Yes. So, okay. So Brent from three day stubble, invited us to go on tour with them and we did like a north florida to texas tour with three day stubble uh that was our first time going like west of of the east coast and uh and then brent also booked we did brent booked at least one tour that we did around the u.s we did one one with um that i think probably tom lax booked that was like uh with um marsha bassett's band on so yeah, we did a tour with them around the US, you know, coming up. It must have been I can't remember. We did some tours with Charlamides. Uh, sorry, it's all it's all going Oh yeah, I'm my... sure. I mean, oh, believe yeah. me, it's it's all <laughs> so many so much stuff is just this mess of a blur, but right. or in the in those few years you guys were doing these tours. But we didn't yeah, we didn't figure anything out. I think Rat again, Rat and Tom like they were they did a lot more touring than us and they were more diy since we were kind of like piggybacking off a label and people that we knew who knew what was going on um but did the and to your question of like did the audiences know what to expect i mean for the most part no you know and we would play all kinds of just random rock clubs and i know uh playing a show with charlamides in somewhere in in atlanta like in a some horrible like cinder block bar and like you know a guy got on to stay on the stage with with charlamides and was like messing with messing with them and trying to teach them to play guitar like uh you know while they were playing and you know we had a few we had a few incidents like that i mean mostly we were so loud and we were so like i think i adris tended to be like disarming i think to people like 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 they, they somehow could accept that this person was it was somehow a, like a matter of exuberance like they were just so they had so much personality that it just came out as a big noise and people could deal with that easier than like it wasn't perceived to make necessarily as hostility although she might be screaming fuck you and and singling people out to tell them how much they suck but is when i listen to the live tapes i also hear a lot of horrible things that i wasn't aware of at the time that people were saying to adris so, yeah, it's uh, maybe uh, maybe my perception of it is based on like 
being like not in not in the you know in, in the position that she was. I, and did you guys thrive off that sort of being on the teetering on the edge of that, or did it get tiring? I mean, how what were you guys' attitude on those sorts? I, I mean, I I liked it. You know, I I I mean, I've and I still kind of feel that way that like it feels good to get pushback from the audience. Not so, I don't do it so much anymore. It's kind of sad, but and I definitely like with the, the acoustic stuff. I was into that kind of like tension. Um, and Harry Pussy had 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 a lot of that, you know, audiences that just we knew that they weren't into it and that made us happy. And we could, you know, we could turn the dial this way and that way to kind of like find the perfect level of unpleasantness for them. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I, I liked I liked having audiences that that, you know, didn't necessarily dig it so much. And I mean, you know, of course, it's also also important to note how big that was for a band like Sonic Youth and Thurston to be taking out bands like Harry Pussy, you know, and really maybe that sort of thing exists now. I don't know, but I can't imagine there's bands at the level of a Sonic Youth who are taking out bands like Harry Pussy or when they took out, you know, Hair Police and, yeah. and they, they, they brought us to these venues that we should have no business playing. Yeah. yeah. To this audience that maybe wasn't going to be receptive, but then you have the people like me yes. who are like, I saw you on Under 20 Minutes, Cousin Thurston, and, you know, 25 years later, now we're talking or whatever, you know, that, that sort of thing. So I think that's such an important thing that happened in the 90s and into the early 2000s. There's bands on that level who are willing to take a chance yeah. with Harry Potter, with the boredoms, th this sort of thing that maybe it exists now. I don't know, but I in my mind, it doesn't really exist. But it's a curation. And like yeah. the people it touched them, it, it like grabbed hold of them. Yeah. Like even yeah. hearing stories of rats tours made us want to tour. Oh, made absolutely. so many people want yeah. to tour. Like these are like your tours. Like, yeah, that's just like the first thing you want to do as soon as you can figure out how. Yeah. 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 yeah so it was amazing that they I mean, when it happened, it was again, like like the. 120 minutes or the whatever you know it was just kind of like a thunderbolt and you're like how is it how could it happen you know it doesn't make any sense and talking about rat he played behind the green door my my loft in detroit in june of 2004 and i booked my first tour to the west coast for that for that august <laughs> Yeah, that's, like it, that's, it was almost certainly from like spending a couple years around right and other people who were doing it, no, but like definitely. having squelchers come through regularly through Detroit and stuff was such a, a big inspiration in terms of like, I can do this, Rat can do this, I can do this. You right, know, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> oh, Miami's such... so far away from everything else. Yeah, you yeah, have I to know. If you want to get out, I mean, yeah. there's no, yeah, if you want to, you have to, you have to hit the road if you want to get anywhere yeah, and you absolutely. have to do it for a, you got a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It takes like a week to get out. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'm trying to think like we played. We, I think we played a couple of shows in Florida, but mostly we would just drive straight and get out uh, before we would play anything. You know? I mean, the first tour I did was basically the 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 middle of the tour. The goal was to Churchill. Get to Miami, that yeah. was that it was you, we go to do a show, we go to do some shows at Churchill's with the Squelchers. That was the goal of the tour, you know, in, in 2001 or whenever that was. And and it was, yeah, like you said, great. I mean, and, and Rat had the, on his website, he had the laid out, like, here's, 
how to do a tour. Here's how much you're going to need for gas. Here's, you know, you know, broken down. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, he, he, his, he was so unselfish with his resources and his, what he had learned. Yeah. He was always willing to, to let it, yeah. let it out. And yeah. that's so huge. And, and yeah, of course, to live in Chavin LA, you know, I would see that these bands toured or, yeah. or I'd see cocky SP videos. This band plays shows in bars. Like <laughs> we can do that. Yeah. You we know, play for 30 seconds read, in a bar. I, I read, get in the van. I've seen cocky SP <laughs> videos and I know about the, you know, Harry pussy. They, and now yeah. I'm going to, we can do it. You know, like, you know, so that, that excitement. And again, there is also something to be said for, that sort of non-thinking you sort of if if i were to go back and look at how we booked our first tour as you know now there's no way in hell i would do it that way but you're just sort of yeah, i don't know yeah sure get we're gonna buy this terrible van that will break down four shows in and then we have to buy another one yeah ask for it it's fine you know so that there's something to be said about that excitement of, i'm glad you didn't think about it too yeah much. i'm so happy yeah, yeah, yeah. so we're talking about you know, rock band acceptance and sort of promotion of Harry Pussy, but kindly mentioned Cocky SP. And that was my introduction is the making it our business VHS that has Harry Pussy live at the Fireside Bowl yeah. at the end of it. Yeah. And seeing that was the first time I saw you. And even uh, watching footage sort of leading up to this and thinking about like how you, how you were also enmeshed with the noise world. And when did, when did you feel like people like Cocky SP and stuff? Was that, just coming out of Miami already from what Rat was doing, or was that when you started touring that that sort of not just sort of weird rock people were yeah. into the band, but also people into like underground harsh noise and stuff? I mean, I didn't really know that much about noise, and I can say you know I'm not really a noise guy. But you're on That's, the noise podcast, so I know, you are. I know, you are. I understand, and it's like I'm saying this, understanding that uh, you know this is probably not the right opinion to have <laughs> but it is it is the case that i don't i don't really i didn't know that much then uh and i i don't i still don't know that much now and you know it, i mean for me it was all just weird people doing their their art mm -hmm. however they could you know in front of audiences and i didn't you know to quote the poet tom smith you know it's like I'm not really hearing genre anyway. You know, it's all just well. And uh, to me, that was stuff. the time. Like when I was getting into everything, yeah. For me, there was no difference to be in into to live in shape in L.A. Harry Percy, Mersbau, White House, and Sonic Youth. I, in my or before I knew anyone, I was discovering this with a couple other people. In my brain, there was no difference. It was yeah. it was all in the Triple R catalog. So uh, to me, that was all that mattered. Right. So it. it you know, so for me, like to me, Harry Pussy was noise. That was I was like, that's noise, and so is, you know, all this. It was it was there was no the lines weren't so drawn at mm -hmm. that time. I yeah. think it it as the years go on, they the boxes start start to close in. But you were definitely, you know, and, you know, and to live in Chavin, L.A. were very much straddled those worlds more so than most bands. Yeah, totally. And I mean like like Ride a Dove is kind of kind of a noise record. It totally is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and then really the uh, a true extreme record is going to come at the very end of yes, the Yes, that's right. <laughs> Let's build a pussy. Yes. So I mean, yeah, you, that's I mean that is a that is four sides of well, actually why don't you lay out for anyone who does not know what Let's Build a Pussy is. Right. Lay it out for so, me. So, I mean, the context was 
uh, the band had already ended and we had like, we had done a recording session with, with, uh, with, um, Tom Smith in Atlanta. We had recorded our last show at Churchill's on multi-track. So we had like some stuff that we could release, you know, kind of like posthumous releases. So, uh, I, there was a guy in Miami had a record label called chocolate industries that was getting a little bit of like notice for like their electronic music. And I don't know how, how it came up. Oh, like they do. He, he looked me up the, this guy and he was like, Oh, I want to do one of our artists can do a remix of you of one of your records. And I was like, and I was into that kind of music and I was like, all right, that sounds like a thing. And so I prepared a special CD of the individual tracks from something and we gave it to him. And like, I'm sure his, it was like not going to happen. Like as soon as the guy heard it, he realized this is not, this cannot be remixed into anything else. So I decided I was like, all right, fine. I will do the remix. And, you know, I had this, um, there's like a Steve Reich, like conceptual piece where he said, oh, I could take music and stretch it uh, repeatedly it goes to infinity and and i was like i was like and i had this i was playing around with that software um oh god sound edit sound edit 16 uh for the mac and it had a time stretching thing very primitive time stretching algorithm that would stretch sound so i took like a just a tiny little blip of adris going blip, and then i stretched it to like two album double album length you know in the in and I put that on the record. So you hear it at the original size and you hear it at double, quadruple. And then I launch into the full two hour or whatever it is. And the model, the, in terms of the spacing on the record, I was thinking of like metal machine music. Right. Sort of cheesy. Mm -hmm. And so it was like 30 minutes on his whatever, whatever length. Like the Lou Reed, it's the same yeah. time as metal the machine music. The same timings right? yeah. as Lou Reed is, yeah. So, yeah. So that's where it came from. And, uh, and it, it, it sounds... It sounds as as yeah pointless as it <laughs> as the description makes it sound. Uh, I mean, it is a, it is a people get angry about that record. I mean that that, that oh really? That, well, I mean I mean but I mean that definitely is a you know a sort of a line in the sand record where it's like oh you know that's that is actually too much <laughs> you know like and and it was on Black Bean and Placenta, which is a label that we discuss again. The, before the lines are really drawn, you know, right. weird kind of lo-fi indie pop, also Mersbau, also K2, and also, uh, you know, Let's Build a Pussy. And were you, how did you get in contact with Mike? Because he's an interesting guy. He's someone we've not, we haven't talked to, but I know his setup, the reason he was able to do all that, because I believe he were, he owned a, a, the record pressing mm. machine or worked for one because he, he was able to do all these low run edition of 50 LPs, a very low five. So I do, did you know much I, about I, his story? Or? Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't have a clear memory of how, how it was that we came to know each other and how he came to put out that record. I do remember that I hadn't expected that it would just be a paste on cover. So like he had like, you know, yeah, Fleetwood Mac Tusk yeah. or whatever would oh, be the yeah. thing. And then he pasted on this, uh, let's build a pussy cover on top of it. Yeah. I loved, Which, I loved it. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I wasn't anticipating it, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's it, it works. All I like the it. hairy pussy covers are very striking and, and in black and white for the albums. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, that's that's a whole separate topic about what my problems are with cover, color and why it's so hard <laughs> for me to, like, do things with color. Well, speaking of presentation, also, uh, the way the band appeared on stage, I mean, Idris is always center yeah. and and the star of the show. You know, it's not something you see often with, with the drummer is that they're, you know, in the back and everybody's kind of in front and closed in. But you guys played, like, in almost a straight line. Yeah. And what what was the thing behind that and was that always like that from simple the show, showmanship really i mean she was way more interesting to look at than we were <laughs> <Hell> yeah. <laughs> yeah and and i think it opened her up to engage with the crowd or open the crowd up to engage with her yeah, yeah. to uh a, a lot of ways because they had maybe they felt like they had more direct access to this person who's yelling at them yeah 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 she i mean i think she really liked mixing it up with the audience and uh yeah so it worked you know i mean i certainly didn't have anything to say that, that anybody wanted to hear you know but she you know she was she could you know she knew how to piss people off like so like sometimes you would piss them off sometimes you would amuse them sometimes they would try to engage her in banter and then she would shut them down in some brutal way so it was good so let's build a pussy is Harry Pussy's done. 97, yes. right? I think that record, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Sounds about right. Yeah. And Bill Orcutt goes into thin air. Yeah. Where'd you go? You went to San Francisco. I mean, I know that. Or the Bay Area. Yeah. Yeah. I moved to, to San Francisco like pretty soon after the band ended to try and like get a job. Cause I had been running a not for profit for seven years. And had been kind of like, I, I got a master's degree and I had worked as an adjunct faculty for a while until I couldn't take it anymore. And then I had been working just random jobs that people would give me. For a long time, I did uh, like uh, um, audio visual, not, not audio, but like visual stuff for uh, clubs. A friend of mine had a company that did that and he didn't want to work the gay clubs so i would work all the gay clubs on miami beach doing like light shows basically and and then i was doing the working at the alliance and that was for seven years and but so the point was i had no money at all you know and i was like 35 and i was like i really should find a way to to like earn a living <laughs> that's silly so <laughs> so but but in this time i mean were you I mean, were there people you stayed in touch with? Did you did were you getting the urge at all, or were you just sort of like I, that times behind me? Did you think it was going to come back again? I mean, how where, where were where were you at mentally with music at that point? I mean, I felt like I had kind of already done like the best possible band I could think of. You know, I kind of had had a run. I mean, like at the end, I felt like. There was more to do. I did feel like at the end, like when we did that last record, I was like, this is a shame because I have I have way more ideas and I could take this further. But, you know, Adris was like going to leave the country. So it was like, well, that's not going to happen. And, uh, you know, so it was it was a, uh, you know, but we kind of had planned the last record and planned the last tour. And it was kind of like a nice orderly shutdown. It wasn't like there was a big fight and somebody walked out. So it was like we did we did everything we we could do and we finished it and then had the the, the weird remix record at the end 
And it was kind of like a nice door closer for that band. And then, but, but I, yeah, I mean, I was, I got busy with other things because I was working, you know, like a nine to five for the first time in my life. And, uh, you know, and then we had two kids. And so there were a lot, there were lots of things to keep me occupied. Were you at all aware that there was a wellspring of bands and shows, et cetera, that sort of was inspired by Harry Pussy and what you guys were doing? Did you have any sort of context about that going on in the early 2000s or were you sort of so totally disconnected from it? You know, it's kind of pre-social media or like early days of social media and I wasn't on like MySpace or whatever. So I didn't... Uh, I did. I didn't really know that much, and I wasn't. I mean, I was kind of tracking certain things and listening. I was still buying records now and then, and and uh, but I didn't really. Uh, the only, you know, it was like after I got done playing, the, the the last label that I really collected was like Mago. That I was way into Mago, and that that scene, that laptop scene, because especially since I was doing computer work, it like just it sounded completely original. You, st you say Mego was one of the last things you were very aware of back then. And of yeah. course, as it's it's happening more and more in episodes, we have to always say, you know, another another fallen soldier, of course, Peter Rayberg, who we've discussed a lot this year, in fact. Mm -hmm. But he's also going to be sort of the part of the rebirth yeah. of what of your of you, as well as the reintroduction of Harry Pussy. Another fucking thunderbolt really it was like to get an email i was on tour and then like got an email out of the blue and it was like <laughs> that was it that was another one it was just like how did, i can't quite process it it doesn't make any sense how did you end up getting in contact with peter and how did he end up doing let's build a pussy oh uh well i mean i was it was just so the connection was through forced exposure. And so Jimmy had given him Jimmy Johnson at forced exposure. I had given uh, Peter my email and he just wrote me. And it's it's like it's that rule of thumb, like the, the shorter the email, the better the news. Like the worst emails you get are all. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. But uh, yeah, he just sent me like three sentences, you know, hey loving your whatever you want to do a record let me know that was it you know kind of and so were the was were the solo records before he reissued let's build a pussy yeah i can't, yeah, I can't yes. remember the order yeah no so i mean i had already done definitely like my first solo lp well not i guess it's not really my because there's yeah. one on audible hits there's one on audible hits yes. but the first one i had done on, on my own label uh that came out in 2009 uh, that was already out, and I guess it was, yeah, probably, I'm trying to think if I had anything else out at that point, but I can't remember. So, and, and so what, when Peter wrote me, the first thing we did was just a CD reissue of the the first LP, and, and at some point I just pitched him on the idea of, like, I love the... I, <laughs> It was, such a, it was such a silly thought, but uh, to have my computer music thing from the 90s be on Mego 
was was for me like a kick, you know. And there it was selling for enough on Discogs that kind of seemed like maybe it was a smart idea. It wasn't a good business decision for Peter, but <laughs> it seems like he didn't mind those things sometimes. Well, so yeah, I mean. But uh, yeah, so I, I I did it, and he got Alan, who Alan had already put it on his minimalist minimalism list. Alan licked. Alan licked, and so Alan wrote the liner notes for it, and uh, and uh, yeah, it was good. Well, you spoke of your interest in computer music back then, and and using the computer to do "Let's Build a Pussy," but you've stepped into sort of a whole new realm of computer music, and and written your own software. Yeah, which you have been using, and I, looking down the credits of pretty much everything on on Fake Estates, it's it's all created with Cracked, right? Which yeah. is the application that you made. Yeah. Uh, where, where did where did the idea to even start working on an application come from, and and what are the goals of Cracked? I mean, I had done a, I had done a lot of stuff in Max MSP. Uh, I guess even before I started playing guitar again. Uh, just because it was a way to connect my interest in like Mago and programming and noise music, you know, into, uh, into writing like these external, uh, pieces for these kind of add-ons for Max MSP. And, uh, and that kind of like ran its course and it was fun. And then I went on and like built my own version of Max MSP called, uh, Lily and, that kind of ran its course and then i was like i wanted a new way to to write my own uh, my own i wanted a new software that was of my own design for making sound and uh you know taking all the things i had learned from my previous experiments and that's what it, the, the full name is uh, i dropped my phone the screen cracked is the name <laughs> of the actual software but it's it's easier to say cracked, cracked. okay <laughs> but, and as we're talking about Peter, Peter, there's yeah. a. Uh, actually, watched a great video of uh, cracked shit for Peter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which you're playing an MPC controller feeding info into cracked, which is playing different samples. Or, yeah, that one's with samples. Yeah. yeah. But it does it does generative audio too. Like you you can set up oscillators and filters and everything within cracked, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been doing. I'm trying to think what my most recent pieces are. I have, I do like, there's just a certain thing that's like a kind of noise thing. And I've done that like duos with Chris, with me playing laptop and, and Chris playing drums. And that's kind of like, it does like a noise thing, but it can also, you can do like, you can program kind of like patterns into it, you know? And I, so like certain records, like, like the mechanical Joey thing is like, there's no input for me. I just kind of set up the samples, one, two, three, four, five, six, and then like, uh, kind of have overlapping patterns coming from left and right, uh, and then let it play out for like a thirty-minute. Uh, oh, so you're not you're not contributing anything, anything yeah, once you set one, it up. Yeah. Oh, wow! I, listening to it, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have thought that it's it syncs up and and it just happens very organically, but also very well. It keeps such a nice flow. It's it's mesmerizing, and it reminds me of you mentioned uh, Steve Reich, but also like uh, Morton Feldman or something, where this sort of repetition. Uh, the the nuances in the repetition become what's so interesting about it. Yeah, it's it's weird because I did a I did for uh, Dylan Noikis uh, accounting piece called Pure Genius that he put out on cassette, and then at some point, it's weird the way one piece feeds into the next, and then you're like, oh, 
counting. Where else is there counting? And it's like, oh, uh, somehow I hit on that uh, one, two, three. Uh, what is it uh, from the Ramones uh, from Cretan Hop? One, two, three, four Cretans want to hop some more. Four, five, six, seven. All good Cretans go to heaven. So I just pulled out that. And it's it worked out really nice because the snare hits right on the number. So you just pull the number out and you get the snare hit along with it. And uh, yeah, so I put that together almost with the same kind of like algorithm that I used for the, the piece on, on Chocolate Monk. And then I have a new counting piece to kind of close out the counting <laughs> moment for me uh it's going to come out like next year on lp and was this uh are these done in a similar way to uh i don't remember the full title but the uh the trial of uh, peter teal that's a different so like a lot of these like the the mechanical joey is like is like a kind of like a phasing piece almost because you have a left and a right and they're kind of going in and out of sync with each other um whereas that one the the uh an account of the crimes of Peter Thiel and his subsequent arrest, trial, and execution is an additive piece. So it starts out with a phrase that gets longer each time, and then it collapses back, and then it starts over at the beginning, gets longer by one, collapses back, and so it keeps going on. Uh, but that's so that's a different. But there's no like left and right kind of like right. thing. Yeah, and those are those are all done in cracked. That's all done in cracked. Yeah. Any any plans for future uh, enhancements to Cracked? Is this something you're still programming and, and working on? Well, had you been at the show last night, you would hey. be <laughs> <laughs> you would be aware as I spoke on it extensively. Uh, ah, damn it. <laughs> I I I figured out uh, last week how to do uh, how to generate like a score from a Cracked piece, like that actually like generate like a like a PDF that you could then print. Uh, like traditional musical notation. And so I printed out six copies of a uh, score for Slow Troll, uh, which okay. is another additive piece. Yeah. Um, and I sold them at the show last night. Wow. But I had to pitch it, you know, to the audience to get them psyched. For Hence it. the spiel. Yeah. This <laughs> the spiel. This is why you need this thing that I figured out how to do. Yeah, day. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it cracked currently runs on Mac and Mac. Linux. I just, I, I, well, not really. I haven't. <laughs> okay. It kind of ran. I, ha I used to work on. My, I used to have a Linux work machine, and I, for fun, got it to run on that. But I don't have a Linux work machine anymore, and so I don't have the machine or the really, you know, interest <laughs> in trying to get it to run on Linux. Yeah. Well, correct is open source. It's software. open source. Anybody who wants to, in theory, it runs on Windows and Linux and Mac. If people want to pursue that, they can. I mean, at this point, I just treat it like my own personal thing so well, i saw on github there's some contributors to it also though yeah it, there is but you know for the most part it's just my own playground and i don't you know necessarily worry about like if i have other other users i mean if somebody has a problem and contacts me i always write them back yeah um but generally speaking i'm just thinking of it as my own playground well i've seen you uh video of you doing performances with a what is it a, a mono controller yeah, yeah. uh and also using the uh, the MPC pad yeah. for it. And the control of those pads, in a way, sort of reminded me of your guitar playing. Oh, really? Yeah. In in a in a strange sort of mechanical way in that it's not... They they feel very, uh, very human, but you're interacting with these things. I mean, it's the same sort of 
could be the same sort of motions if you're playing a solo or something like that yeah uh to what you're doing on these pads do you find any parallels between your electronic creations and your guitar works i don't know i mean you know emotions basically like it makes me feel good and there's that thing i, I don't know that like like hearing loud sound in your ear makes like chemicals come out or <laughs> whatever that that thing is yeah. that yeah as a musician like like that's how i would connect to it you know i like hand shapes too hand shapes are important to me the guitar has a lot of nice hand shapes uh there's not so much button pushing doesn't really give you a, a hand shape thing that i like but it's you know there are limited ways to interact with the guitar or the computer have you tried a midi guitar See, that's I knew you were gonna go there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have not, and I I won't be. Okay, good. Yeah, <laughs> don't. <laughs> and, and that's a much more positive way to say it than like the loud sound kind of drowns all the demons out yeah. in your head. Oh, so, yeah. I don't. Yeah, no. For me, it, it just makes me feel. I mean, it just you know lights up my brain in a way that is feels good. And you set up fake estates sort of specifically for the cracked recordings right yeah fake estates predates palalalia as a label yeah yeah that's because i thought i released a single before i started playing guitar again i had released a a single on uh, fake estates okay well we'll link we'll link to both of the band camps for these of course yeah. in the description because there's a wealth of stuff you can check out there's there. also a hairy pussy band camp Yes. You, you might be aware of. Yes. Yep. We'll have links up for all this as we always say, directly support bands, directly support artists, and it's just a great way to take a look at it. Though I will say Let's Build a Pussy is not on that band camp and I wish it was. Uh you know what? I bet I think uh Force Exposure still has copies of the double LP. There you go. Hey. Yeah. Or if you're lucky, you still have a copy of the original LP yes. bought at Encore right. <laughs> uh, back in the day. And I don't remember, I don't know what record ours is is folded in, but oh right, absolute classic. Now, currently, one of the main people you play with and who you are playing with tonight, who you played with last night, or well, you're playing a show with tonight. Tonight yep. is a uh, solo set, but last night you played yep. with him is Chris Corsano. And... Chris Corsano is someone who we've known for a long time. And I know for a fact that Harry Pussy was an early bond that Chris and I had. We would talk about our love of Harry Pussy yeah. back in the early 2000s. How did you end up meeting up with Chris? And obviously you guys have been playing together for so long. There's something there. So tell us about your musical connection with right. Chris Corsano. I wrote, I mean, I, so I had been, I wanted to play guitar with a drummer. Uh, I was playing, you know, I'd done all this acoustic solo stuff and looking, I, I wanted to play with a drummer again. And, uh, you didn't, I didn't need to do a lot of research to find that, figure out that Chris Corsano was the, the right dude to do that with. And I just, uh, I got his email from, from James at Roratorio, James Lindblom. <laughs> and, uh, I wrote him, uh, Chris and simple as that. He said, he said, oh, I'm busy or something. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but then I, then some, some other opportunity came together and I wrote him again and then he said, yes. So, uh, yeah, we started playing. And you're still playing. So obviously there's something, there's a spark there that yeah. you guys have. How, how is that relationship playing with him? And 
How does it differ from playing with Adris? Oh, I mean, yeah. obviously it's a very different relationship. So right. where, where, how, I guess just where does it sit with you? You know, I mean, I, I you know, I am not, you know, I mean, I, I can, pl- I can kind of like, you know, what's the right way to say this? I can kind of like be myself with Chris. Like there are people that I'll play with and I'm like, have to like, you know, be on my best behavior and, <laughs> you know, take, take care not to offend anyone. And, you know, with Chris, I can kind of like do whatever, whatever I want. And then like Chris will figure out a way to deal with it. So that's, that's a comfortable place to be in. You know, like if you're playing with somebody to just be able to do what you want. And, uh, there's a trust and, and mm-hmm. he can do it. He, you, you, he can oh, do yeah, his yeah, thing. Yeah, no, no. He, You're thinking it, and then it mixes without having to really. Yeah. We don't, we don't spend a lot of time talking about yeah, what yeah, we're yeah, doing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And, uh, so that's, that's kind of like the, the core of it, you know, and he's always game to do whatever release I cook up, you know? And, and, you know, I think I feel like with this last record, especially that like we've gotten like some nice, variations on the kind of records that we put out it's not all just the same thing every time so yeah it's been it's been good you know and i trust his opinions you know when he does when he does give me some feedback you know it's like yeah it's coming from a a good source so yeah that's awesome yeah and what do you have lined up now for the rest of the year show tonight here and any any other any other out of town shows touring or just kind of riding out the rest of the year? Um, I'm going to do a couple of shows in Texas and Austin and Houston. And, uh, I think that's it. We, there's a, uh, my last record is this good music for four guitars with four guitars. So we're trying to do that live next year. Uh, and like, I'm, I'm not a good musician. So for me to learn that record is going to be like, like a thing. But you have the printed sheet music, right? It's like 30 pages I, I, of I, notation. I, I do have an 80 page score oh, for the yeah. entire record, <laughs> but that doesn't help me because I don't read music. And <laughs> like, like my, my collaborators will definitely be looking mm-hmm. at the sheet music. Yeah. I can know there's no way that I'm going to be able to look at a piece of paper and play at the same time. So I have to learn it by heart. And for me to do that is going to be like my project essentially for the rest of the year. From four right. strings to four guitars. <laughs> From four strings to four guitars. <laughs> That's the my autobiography. <laughs> and do you have any, do you have any electronic sets coming up, or is it all going to be guitar stuff? I think the like like the the, the Houston uh, the Texas stuff is all guitars. So yeah, no, I mean my main thing is is to is to learn this music. So that like when I go into the the new year, I've got got it together. But I already had, you know, it's so, so crazy now to have takes a year to turn a record around. We were talking about this yeah. last night. Yeah, 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 how it's just you said you have the whole year already planned. Yeah, my whole it's already in production. You have to. I yeah, mean, that's, yeah, that's how it goes. That's there's no other way around it these right. days. So yeah, so all those records are already in flight as it were do you recall how long it took say for the once the once the first seven inch was done how do you remember how long it took to get the copies in your hand when once once the master was done was the uh, mixing was done oh, it was 
they 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 might have done it while we waited or something. I, I, I feel like Rat said that there was a plan in Miami. <laughs> yeah. That yeah, yeah, would, no, yeah. We, Alpha Records in Miami. Okay, we, there you yeah, go. Yeah. We definitely did it there. They were they were a Christian outfit. Amazing. Uh, but uh, they didn't see the covers, so <laughs> I, they didn't matter really. And I can't remember what's on the label. I, I, I mean, know. even out here, oh, I mean, you know, point. Bill Smith he, he used to be able to go. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Wouldn't wouldn't do it same day, but like in, well, in Detroit yeah, when I, I mean, worked uh, with Archer for my pressing, yep, I would. We, I would go on my lunch break and pick up test pressings. You know, you could go talk to the people that press your records, and I just you could watch them be pressed. It feels like it's so much of that's gone, and now it is just a waiting game. Yeah, no, it's I don't know how it happened. They need to make more, more Led Zeppelin box sets, or how it happened. Is that what it is? <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of it. Texas, and then uh, learn how to play music. Awesome. Well. Bill, this has been so cool. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Yep. Definitely a, whether or not you know it, meant for it to happen or not, a very important branch of the world of noise. We like to talk about Mm -hmm. all of its branches, and there's no question that Harry Pussy and what you guys are doing in Miami in the 90s is still felt to this day, whether you just somehow showed up in a studio and it happened and you showed up on a tour and you showed up on MTV (laughs) without any intentions. Well, it worked. So thank you so much for talking to us and thank you so much for everything you've done and have a great show tonight. Thank you. I appreciate the interest. You've been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artist for over 17 years by Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at noise extra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to noise.